I'm making a promise right now. I'm going to get through this. Like somehow, some way, I'm going to find a way through this. And when I do, and I come out the other end, I'm going to give back. I'm going to be part of a community. And I don't ever want to be in this situation again because I always want to be the one that gives, not receives. Welcome to the Can I Pick Your Brain podcast, where successful entrepreneurs get their brains picked so you can apply mindset tricks and game-changing tactics that will help you become unstoppable. Now, here's your host, Daniel Geffen. Hey, fellow brain pickers, and welcome to episode 141 of the Can I Pick Your Brain show. Now, this episode is slightly different. It's a recording of a recent episode that I was on on a different show called the Do Well and Do Good podcast with the host, Dorothy Ilson. The reason why I'm sharing it here is because I shared things that I've never shared before on any other podcast, including this one, um, and I really delved deep into my relationship with money um, and how it really shaped my life and also a lot of other things that I haven't spoken about before in public. Uh, I think you'll really enjoy it. So without further ado, here's the show. Daniel, thank you so much for coming on the show today. I'm so excited to have you. Thank you, Dorothy. Thank you so much. I'd love to kick things off by hearing what you are most pumped about in your life right now. I'm pumped about being here on your show, like right now. (laughs) That's what I'm pumped about. Like seriously. Awesome. Well, Daniel, you have obviously been hugely successful in the podcasting space. You're a best-selling author, and now you have a new venture with um, podbooker.com. And so I'd like to actually take it back all the way to the beginning. And I'm wondering if you could tell me kind of what beliefs about money and success did your family instill in you growing up? And how were those helpful or harmful to you in achieving all the success that you have? Wow. Okay. So I want to give you two extreme examples to give you contrast. So the first example will be my grandfather. And the second example will be my father. My grandfather was in 13 concentration camps. Uh, One of them was Auschwitz. He was shot and buried alive. He watched both of his parents and his children all murdered. He was the only survivor. Uh, He was hung twice. Both times the alarm went off, the signal went off, and there were false alarms, and he managed to escape. He, he literally, when he, was, when he was liberated from the camps, he had nothing. And when I say nothing, I'm not talking about like low battery on your phone or like bad Wi-Fi reception. I'm talking about literally like nothing, no money, no family, no connections. He just had the shirt on his back, and that was it. But he rebuilt himself. He built himself up. He got he got married. He um, had children, grandchildren. I'm his. Uh, I'm one of his grandchildren. Um, if it wasn't for the fact that he pushed through, I wouldn't be alive today. And what's fascinating about his mindset over money, he became very wealthy. He actually played the stock market. Uh, he got really good at picking the right stocks, and he bought himself a hotel and he built that up. Nobody actually knows how much money he was worth because he was very private. He was a very private person about it. But we do know after he passed away about five years ago now, four four or five years ago, we know that at one point he had like $20, $30 million in cash in his bank or something like that. But he always lived in a small apartment above the hotel. 
he didn't drive a car. He lived very, very simply. And he gave away literally like most of his money to charity. That, that was his whole, like he, he, didn't, he didn't live for money. He lived to give. He lived to help other people. Growing up, my father was very similar. He, he, he gave a lot of money to charity, but he also was very nervous around money. I remember we, would, we, we went on a nice uh, trip somewhere, nice vacation, and my father was always you know, complaining about how expensive everything was. And I remember we went to a restaurant, and he looked at the menu, and he's like having a heart attack over the price. He's like, oh my goodness, how could they charge us much? And my mother would say, it's okay, we can, you know, we can go to a different restaurant. We don't have to come. No, 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 we're here now. This is where we are, so we're going to have to buy it now. It's fine, whatever. And like, I'm this little kid, and I'm thinking, I don't give a damn about this restaurant. In fact, I don't even give a damn about this vacation. I just want my father to be happy. Like, why is he so stressed out? And I remember making myself a promise that I would never let money control me the way it did my father. Wow. And so how difficult was it for you to, I guess, not repeat that same pattern? You know, I know so frequently we sort of take on the same mindset that our parents have ingrained in us from a young age. Was that something that you, you know, did deliberately or it was more just, you know, I know I don't want that. So I'm going to, you know, think about it more like this. I still, I still um, struggle with it. It's, it's a part of me uh, because I grew up with it. It's ingrained in me. Um, And so I constantly have to remind myself that money is just a means and that there is an abundance of it. Because I, again, I grew up with a scarcity mindset. So the way that I had my relationship with money was number one is money is the devil. Okay. Because money ruined my father's relationship with, with me and my mother and, and my kids. And I mean, not my kids, my, my siblings, it made my father stressed out. It gave him a heart attack. It made him smoke like a chain smoker. And these are obviously false because money is just an object. Money is money can't do anything to you. This is what I believed because as a kid, you know, this is what I, this is how I saw money. I saw it as an evil, the devil. I saw it as very limited. Some people have lots of it. Some people have very little of it. And there's only so much to go around. That's what I believed. And so as I've grown up, I've had to work hard on changing my relationship with money. I'm not a slave to money. No, 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 not at all. So what advice would you have for someone who is similarly looking to turn around a lack mindset or you know, rewrite some negative thought patterns around money? It's like any relationship. Okay, so if you have, you know, if, you, if you're having uh, trouble in your marriage or if you're having trouble with your children or your parents or your friends, right, you've got to, you've got to work it out. It's a relationship. I look at, at money as a relationship. And so I talk to it. I know this is going to sound really weird. And I do this with all of my thoughts and feelings, by the way. I, I look at my thoughts and feelings as little children. So, for example, let's take anger. Okay. When, when I get angry, I look at anger as a, a little child that needs attention. Because the problem is, is that when we ignore our thoughts and feelings, they just get louder and louder. Right. And, it, and it's abusive. Right. I mean, I don't know. Do you have children, Dorothy? I do not. Oh, so, so I have four kids. And the thing is, is that when, when, it, you know, it's abusive, if, if, your ch- if my child's misbehaving and I just ignore them, 
uh, and I just kind of shut them out. I'm not being a good father, right? That's going to kill the relationship. If I try to understand them and give them space and time and, and, and really, you know, talk to them as if I'm a friend and not like I'm trying to fight them, then the relationship grows and becomes stronger. So with anger, I talk to it. I say, you're angry. I understand what's going on. Why are you so upset? Right. If I don't feel like going to the gym, right, I wake up in the morning and, you know, <laughs> suddenly I hear the voice, oh, no, I don't want to go to the gym. And, oh, I, I don't feel like going to the gym. I'll talk to that, that, that voice and I'll say, look, I know you don't want to go, but we're going to go anyway, right? Because I'm in control. You're going you're gonna to see that it's, it's, it's going to feel good, right? And we go. And of course, as soon as I get on the treadmill and I start lifting weights, I feel incredible, right? And it's like, wow, look, I feel great. See? So I don't let my feelings control me just like I don't let my children control me because I'm the father and I know, I know best. So with money, I switched the relationship from me being a slave and money being a master to I'm the master. Money is the slave. Like Money works for me. And so I don't need to be scared of money, just like I, I'm not afraid of my children. Do you understand what I'm saying? I definitely do. And I think that thinking of your, you know, feeling like anger and approaching it just like you would with a child, it's it's a powerful tactic because it allows you to sort of step outside of the situation and look at what's going on and figure out, you know, how can I change my thinking around this to, you know, either get to a solution or feel better about the situation that you're in. Yeah. And also recognizing that there's an abundance of it. That's the other thing. The other part of it is realizing that there is enough to go around. Mm-hmm. So your book is called The Self-Help Addict. And I must admit that I fall squarely into that category. Could you tell me how you first got turned on to personal development? I wrote the book for myself because I, I am a self-help addict. And I basically found myself really just hooked and, and overdosing right on this drug called self-help. So I'd go into a bookstore and, you know, I would go to the self-help section and look for like the new bestsellers. And, you know, it was like, it was like taking a hit. Right. And I'd go and I'd buy the book and then I'd take out my yellow marker pen. And of course, you, you know, mark, mark a pen, every single line of the book. It's like, wow, that's going to change my life. Ah, That's amazing. Right. And, and, um, what I found was that at the end of the book, I basically have a whole yellow book and I'd have this empty feeling inside because now I've actually got to go and do something about it, but I don't want to, right? I'm scared to go and take action. So what we do is we use it as a crutch. And so we'll go to the website of the author and see that, oh, they've got a a seminar coming up, like, you know, or a free webinar. It's like, oh, I got to check out the the free webinar because, you know, that's going to change my life. So you go to the free webinar, you sign up, right? You take notes. And of course it comes to the end of the free webinar and then they say, hey, and if you want to take this even further, then you've got to come to my live seminar in Vegas. Da, da, da. Tickets are, you know, $599, you know, and then, of course, plus flights and everything else. And so you say, oh, that's what it is. If I just go to the live seminar, then that's going to change my life because that's what I need. I need to be there with other people like me who's going to write. And then, of course, you fly there, you get on stage and you go, yeah, yeah, this is amazing. You write down your life goals. You get all incredible. You get all these insights. And then, of course, a couple of days later, you wake up and you hit the snooze button. (laughs) We all know what that's like. And you're back to square one, right? So I recognized that that was a pattern in my life. And so 
uh, that's when I decided I'm, I'm going to get out of this. This is a this is a cycle, and I need to break out of the cycle. And what I found was it's all in in basically taking action, right? It's so whenever I would read a book, I would make sure that I'm not going to go to the next chapter until I take action on what I've read so far, right? Taking action when you feel excited. So what I found is that when you're emotionally charged, you can accomplish a whole lot more than when you're, ch- when you're cooled down, when you're neutral. So as an example, um, I remember I was, um, I, was, I was sitting on a plane and I was watching a movie and it happened to be about a father and son. And the whole movie was basically this relationship where the father and son had this massive fallout and the father's trying to win back the son, but the son doesn't want to, you know, have a relationship with the father. And then of course, in the end, you know, the son comes around and, and they embrace and they, they, you know, get back together again. And I remember I was crying. And in that moment I said, you know what? I need to call up my father. Like I need to call him up and just tell him how much I love him. And of course, what happens is, is the movie ends, the music stops, and you check your Facebook, and you go to Instagram, and you get on with whatever you're doing, and you don't make that phone call, and you call down, and then you don't have that motivation to go and make that call. Whereas when you're in heat, when you're emotionally charged, that's the point, that, that's when you've got to stop and take action. For me, that was crucial is, is stopping. Like if you're listening to this podcast show, or you're listening, or you're watching a YouTube video, or you're reading a book and you get really charged and you say, I've got to do X, stop, like pause, whatever it is you're doing. Like we live in a world right now where you could pause everything. Okay. Nothing is that you can pause and rewatch. So pause it, close the book, pause the po- podcast episode, pause the YouTube video, pause the movie and go and take that action. And when you get into that habit of taking action when you're in heat, when you're in the moment, that's going to break that cycle. Daniel, I know that when people are trying to uplevel their life, whether that be through starting a business, working on a side hustle, writing a blog, you know, whatever it may be, it's often a very lonely pursuit. And there really isn't the built-in accountability that comes with having a boss looking over your shoulder and making sure that you actually, you know, do what you said you were going to do. So how important do you think that accountability is in what you call in the book, the art of action? And what are some ways that people can tap into the power of accountability? So yeah, yeah, 100% accountability is really, really important. And just to give an example, my book. So my book took me 10 years to procrastinate over and then a year to write. <laughs> like literally, I'm not kidding. Like I was, I was pregnant, so to speak, with the book for ten. I know my wife will kill me for saying that because uh, she'll see. She'll be like, "You have no idea what it means to be pregnant." Okay, so don't use having a book, okay, as if having a baby. Please, so gotta be careful what I say there. Um, but uh, I had this this idea for this book for the last ten years, eleven years, and it's funny because I actually remember. It was about 11 years ago. I was sitting in, in a in, in therapy session and my therapist said, you know, what's one thing that you're trying to work on right now? And I said, well, I'm, I'm, I've got this idea for this book. It's called The Self-Help Addict. And um, I've got all the ideas of what I want to say, but for some reason, I just can't write the book. And she said, well, why not just write it? And I'm like, because I am the self-help addict. And so I'm the self-help addict trying to write the book, The Self-Help Addict, and I can't write it. And, uh, so I remember clear as day that, that, that was 11 years ago and 10 years passed. And I can't tell you how many times I started and stopped and started and stopped and 
it just didn't work. So about a year ago, maybe it's about a year and a half now. Yeah, about a year and a half ago, I was putting my son, my oldest son, to bed. He was nine at the time. And suddenly I had this idea. I said, Alicia, that's his name. I said, Alicia, um, it's a Hebrew name, by the way, because I know most people think that Alicia is a girl's name, which it is, but in Hebrew, it's a boy's name. Um, so I said, Alicia, I have a surprise for you for your, for your birthday, for your 10th birthday in six months from now. Well, actually, it was, yeah, it was a year, a year later. So he said, oh, what is it? Is it an iPad? Because he was like, always asked me for an iPad. Daddy, I need an iPad. So I said, no, 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 it's not an iPad. Um, it's a book. And then he rolls his eyes. He's like, a book? Why would I want a book for my birthday? <laughs> and I said, no, it's, it's not any book. It's, um, it's going to be my book. I'm writing a book and I'm, I'm going to write it for you. And I'm going to give it wow. to you on your 10th birthday. And he literally like jumped up and grabbed me and gave me a big hug. And he was so excited. He's like, what? You're going to write a book for me? I'm so excited. You know, I can't wait. And like, I walked out <laughs> of the room and I'm like, oh crap. Now I've really, <laughs> I've really got to write the book because <laughs> I promised my son. So essentially what I did there was I dug myself a hole, like, you know, a hole that I can't climb out of. And that's what I recommend people do because what I hear a lot of people say when they say, oh, I want to be accountable. is like, oh, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to tell a couple of my friends. Oh, come on, don't kid yourself. So what if you tell a couple of your friends? So you won't do it. Like A, they're probably not even going to remember. And B, what's the worst that's going to happen? So they won't, so you didn't do it. Okay, big deal. Or sometimes I hear people saying, I'm going to hire a coach, an accountability coach. Now, I have nothing against coaches. I think they're amazing. And I've had mentors in my life and I have a couple of mentors now. And I mentor people. But if you're just hiring a coach just to be accountable, it hasn't worked for me. And the reason why is because you could fire the coach. Like, who cares, right? So the coach says, you didn't do that. Oh, you're in trouble. Oh, yeah, what are you going to do? You're going to fire me? I pay you, right? So you've got to, you've got to get uncomfortable, but like really uncomfortable. So one thing I actually did, uh, this is funny. I had a guest on my show and he said, yeah, I was thinking about writing a book. So live on my show, I said to him, oh, you're thinking of writing a book? He's like, yeah. I'm like, well, why haven't you written it yet? He's like, well, and he starts giving me all these excuses. I'm like, well, listen, here's the thing. You're going to write that book. So you're going to give me a date and we're going to make sure that you write it by that date. And so he's like, uh, okay, uh, December. I'm like, okay, give me a day in December. Okay. The first of December. Great. Wonderful. First of December, you're going to write the book. Wonderful. Okay. Here's what's going to happen if you don't write the book. He's like, what? I said, what's the, if I was to, uh, ask you what the worst place to give charity to, what are you against the most? Like, what's your biggest, uh, thing that you're against? And so he gave me this organization. He's like, it, that, it's terrible organization. Like I hate that. I said, great. So you're going to give a thousand dollars to that organization if you don't write the book in December, <laughs> December first. And he's like, are you crazy? I'm like, no. Like, do you want to write it or do you not want to write it? He's like, but I'm not giving. That. I said, I know you're not going to give them a thousand dollars because you're going to write the book. I get an email from him on the first of December, and he's like, I hate you so much, but I published my book today just so I couldn't give. <laughs> that thousand dollars to that organization and i said it works you see so just some ideas you can get creative i love that idea you know there's actually an app that you can download that does uh, the same thing for fitness where you you commit to going to the gym and if you don't go to the gym it automatically takes money out of your bank account and donates it oh, to no. a charity that you hate <laughs> yeah so of course you know 
fear is such a big thing that prevents people from, you know, writing that book or doing whatever it is they want to do to transform their lives. And even, for example, in creating this podcast, I had tons of fears about putting myself out there so publicly, you know, worrying about what would people think or what will they say about me. And I really had to put the blinders on to try to push through those limiting thoughts. So how mm-hmm. can we shift our thinking around fear and avoid having that be the thing that holds us back from taking meaningful action? So two things. Number one, I don't think fear is bad. I actually love fear. Fear is a friend, not an enemy. Because if we didn't have fear, first of all, we'd, we'd be dead. <laughs> we'd, we'd all be dead because we'd all be like, you know, jumping off mountaintops and like, you know, you know, just doing crazy, stupid things that you see, you know, you see kids doing it like, no, don't do that. Don't run in the road. Well, what? But they're not scared. Right. So if they didn't have, if we didn't have fear, we'd be, we'd all be dead. The other thing as well about fear is it makes us human and it gives us an edge. So for example, imagine if I take two people and I put them on stage. Um, so one person before they go on, they're, you know, completely fearless. They have no fear. They've worked on their fear so much. It doesn't exist anymore. And they come on and they give this perfect presentation, like perfect. Everything is just perfect. The person that comes after them is like so scared. They're like so nervous. And they come on stage and they just like, oh my goodness. And and they say something like, I am so petrified right now. I just want I just want you all to know like I this is my first time on stage and I am pissing myself right now. But I'm gonna do this because I've been wanting to get on a TED talk for years and I'm just going to do this. Who's going to get, like, who are you going to be rooting for? Like, who are you going to connect to, right? You're going to connect to the second person because that, because that's what we relate to and because they've got an edge and there's character to them. And, you know, it gives you like that, you know, those goosebumps that I was talking about before and the butterflies in your stomach and needing to go to the bathroom three times. That's like, that gives us a character that gives us energy, Right. Whereas if you don't have fear, you're just like, you're like a straight line. It's just boring. Like, it's boring. That's the first thing. The second thing that I wanted to mention was fear of other people. Fear of what people think. of You, you, you mentioned earlier, Dorothy, that you were scared of what people would think. And I had a guest on my show who, who said these words, and I've never forgotten them since. And he said, what other people think of you has nothing to do with you. What other people think of you has nothing to do with you. It's just a reflection on themselves. Nobody actually cares really about you. It's yeah. a fact. Everybody just thinks about themselves, right? So that's really helped me as well. And then what about overwhelm and burnout? You know, everyone has their own opinion on this. But personally, I don't love the kind of hustle mentality of working your face off from dawn until dusk and collapsing into bed at night. So Daniel, what is your take on this kind of hustle culture and how can we avoid the kind of overwhelm and burnout that ultimately makes us move slower? So everybody's different. uh, And that's really important because I feel like a lot of these self-help gurus, they come out and they say, you've got to do this, right? Or you've got to do that. And like, honestly, really, you, you, what are you, God, that you think you can get up and tell everybody that they all fit in this nice, neat little box that you've created for them? Who the hell are you? Right? <laughs> Everybody's different. So you've got to do you. I personally, if you want to ask me, what does Daniel Geffen do? So I, I have ups and downs. 
and you can call it a slight case of bipolar if you want to. Or you can. I, I'm not into calling. I'm not into labels, uh, but I can describe to you what it what it's like. So I have days when I am literally buzzing, like bouncing off the walls, crazy, and then I have days when I'm really low, like I just feel like leave me the hell alone right? The world can go and basically jump off a big cliff because <laughs> that's, that's where I'm at, right? And what I found that works for me is just accepting where I am on that day and just taking advantage of that mood. So when I'm buzzing, yes, I'm going to hustle my face off till two in the morning. Why? Because I've got the energy, I've got the adrenaline pumping through my veins, I'm excited and I can do it. But then when the days when I'm just not feeling it, so those are the days when I need to just go to the beach, read a book, reflect, write down some goals, maybe just write down a list of things I'm grateful for, spend time with my wife and kids, spend time alone. You know, it depends on where you are. Like there's no one size fits all. Who, who said that? Like, which, who, like we don't live in communist Russia. Like we're free. Like do what you want, you know? It's crazy. Completely. And I think, you know, so many people just kind of blindly take advice without actually thinking about how it applies to them and their specific situation and the way that they work. You know, some people, you know, are able to, you know, do that kind of go, go, go from six in the morning till 10 o'clock at night. And that works for them. But, you know, other people, if you if you need time to refresh and make sure that you are taking care of yourself, then, you know, that is going to ultimately make you more productive. 100%. And, and I take back what I said about communist Russia. I don't want Putin sending me these uh, <laughs> people to poison my food. Like, <laughs> last night, I watched a documentary about Russian poisonings. And uh, so now I'm, I've got to be very careful what I say. Here. <laughs> well, luckily, I don't think Putin is listening to this podcast. But... Well, you never know. Don't you, you never, never know. know. <laughs> So, Daniel, of course, you know, this show is really about how creating this kind of success in our lives allows us to multiply the impact that we're able to have on on other people and things that are important to us. So I know that you actually, uh, you donate 10% of your income to support your local community, which is so incredible. And I'm wondering, you know, how did that start and what inspired you to make that kind of consistent commitment to giving? This is actually a, a, a sad story, but it's a happy. It's got a happy ending, right? So, when I was, I can't remember how old, what, twenty five, twenty six. I had a six figure salary. I was living in LA, married. I had my first child. Like everything was just picture perfect, right? Hollywood, literally, because I was actually on the sixteenth floor of uh, the building, and uh, I would see the Hollywood sign from my office. So it was like the Hollywood scene, right? And then 2008 came around and Olga, this Russian landlady, she came knocking on our door of our Spanish townhouse that we rented. I opened the door and she's standing there towering over me and she says, Mr. Giffen. Dude, I don't know what's going on with me and Russians today. But <laughs> <laughs> no, like seriously, if there's any Russians listening to this, I love you guys. It's not, I have nothing against you. Just for some reason, uh, it just uh, happens. I'm a quarter Russian. Does that count? <laughs> I, and I like, and, and Russia, the World Cup was in Russia this year. So, you know, I like the Russians. Yeah. And whatever. And my son started playing chess with a master Russian, uh, master chess player who's Russian. And he's taking lessons with him. So I love the Russians. Anyway, just had to say that. So <laughs> Olga, this big, big Russian lady, uh, was standing there and she says, Mr. Geffen, you need to leave. 
And I said, uh, what do you mean I need to leave? I have like a wife and child. You can't just kick me out. And she said, and this is in California. And she said, um, well, you haven't paid rent in three months. So it's not my problem. You have to leave. Like I'm going to call the bailiffs. So we were literally were kicked out on the street. And it was, it was like a massive shocker for me, a big wake up call. But that wasn't the first time that I went broke. I then we moved to England, we moved to London. And I worked for my dad in a grocery store, which I hated, like serving milk and eggs and cheese to people, you know, and just like going from that scene where I'm making six figures and, you know, driving a nice, beautiful, brand new car, living in a Spanish townhouse, you know, working on the 16th floor, overlooking the Hollywood sign with my own office and everything else to working for my dad in a grocery store serving milk and eggs. Like it was, I wanted to die, you know? And so at one point, I, I, after about a year, I just said, I can't do this anymore. And I remember I ran home to my wife and I said, listen, honey, if I have to serve milk and eggs to one more person, I'm going to shoot someone. And so uh, she said to me, look, I really believe in you. I think you've got so much passion, so much drive. And you know, you're an entrepreneur, you should start your own business. So I did, I took the plunge, I took the risk and I quit. And I went and I became, uh, you know, I started my own company. And it was really rough. It was really, really rough trying to build up. And I had no salary coming in. And so at one point, it got to a point where I literally couldn't put food on the table again. So I didn't know what to do. And I ended up calling up somebody. It was somebody who was, I guess, kind of like a mentor to me, somebody who I looked up to. And they were in the community and I called them up and I told them about my situation. And he said to me, he said, Daniel, what community do you, do you belong to? And I said, uh, I don't really belong to a community. What do you mean? He's like, well, who do you give to? Like, who do you support? Like what, what community do you, do you, are you a part of? Like, you know, you support a community, right? And I, I'm Jewish and I'm, I'm Orthodox Jewish. And so as Orthodox Jews, usually what happens is you belong to a community and the community helps the community out. We all help each other. That's how it works according to Judaism. So I just was one of these renegades where I just, I didn't want to, I, I wasn't in the community. And he said the following words, which like when he said them, I felt like someone was stabbing me in my heart. He said, Daniel, if you didn't support a community when you were doing well, why should a community support you? And uh, I literally, like, I felt like he took a, a knife to me because, and I started crying, like I had tears in my eyes and cause I knew he was right. Like in my heart of hearts, I knew that, you know what? He's, he's so right. Like, who did I give to when I was doing well and everything was going great? I didn't give to anyone. I didn't have a community that I was giving to. So why should anyone support me? Like, why should anybody help me now? He was right. And so I remember I put down the phone and I said to myself, I'm making a promise right now. I'm going to get through this. Like somehow, some way, I'm going to find a way through this. And when I do, and I come out the other end, I'm going to give back. I'm going to be part of a community. And I don't ever want to be in this situation again, because I always want to be the one that gives, not receives. Wow. Uh, so what kinds of things in the community does that money go to, Daniel? Oh, there's so many, there's so many things you've got. We've got couples that need counseling. They can't afford it. Uh, we've got kids that are teens at risk going onto drugs and on the streets and, you know, that need rehabilitation, uh, therapy. Uh, we've got families that have 
no food, they can't put food, they can't pay the bills. I actually paid somebody's water bill and electricity bill last month. <laughs> I mean, the list literally, literally goes on. Um, there's so, I mean, people who have, uh, they need surgery, right? Sick, they need surgery, emergency surgery, but they can't, they can't afford it, right? A child is sick and needs surgery, can't afford it. Everything you can think of that could happen, the community is there. In the Jewish community, in the Orthodox Jewish community, you're you're never alone. You will never be alone because mm. we're all family, and it's such a beautiful thing. It really is. Daniel, thank you so much for everything you've shared with us today. Unfortunately, we are running out of time, so I'd like to move into what I call the impact round. So I'm going to ask you a series of short questions, and I'd like for you to basically respond with the first answer that pops into your head. Who has been the most impactful person in your journey to do well and achieve financial success? My wife. And who has been the most impactful person in feeding your drive to do good and really make an impact? My grandfather. When you're having a bad day or you're in a negative headspace, what do you do to get yourself out of the funk? Just accept it. Like accept it as is and just take a walk. Pretty much just do whatever... Whatever I feel like doing, if I need a binge on Netflix, I'll binge on Netflix, you know. Great advice. <laughs> and what book do you find yourself recommending to people most often? I want to add ice cream, by the way, with Netflix. <laughs> um, <laughs> what, book, <laughs> what book? Can I be cheeky and say my own book? Because it's the one I wrote. No, I'm kidding. Um, no, but besides for my book, um, I really like Think and Grow Rich. Because I know the title is kind of, you know, but um, it's such a great book because it really changed my mindset over money. Think and Grow Rich was one of the best books in terms of like completely changing my, my mindset over money. So that, that's the book. That was actually the very first personal development book that I read. Uh, so I agree with you completely there. What is one thing on your bucket list? I would say I'd love to go on a cruise with my wife, just me and my wife, because we have four kids now. So it's a little bit difficult, but I'd love to do a cruise. Uh, um, the Greek islands. I want to, I want to do a cruise on the Greek islands with my wife. That's one thing on my bucket list. And then lastly, what is the worst piece of advice that you've heard related to success? And on the flip side, what's the best piece of advice that you'd give to our listeners? Worst piece of advice is to do one thing, like to follow one person like in other words when when someone says you know you have to wake up at five in the morning and you know you've got to jump in freezing cold you know uh, water like that's great for tony robbins but quite frankly i prefer to not freeze myself <laughs> um and everybody's different so I, I i just don't like when when people give blanket statements or pieces of advice and expect that it works for everybody it doesn't uh, flip side is to really be yourself and know who you are and know what makes you the best you, what works for you the, mo the best. Thank you, Daniel. And then as you know, here on the show, we have what I like to call the do well and do good challenge. And this is where we encourage our listeners who want to give back to contribute to the nonprofits that are nominated by our guests. So can you tell us which nonprofit you'll be nominating and why it is so meaningful to you? Yeah, absolutely. So the charity is called Operation Underground Railroad, 
um, it's an, it's a charity that Russell Brunson from ClickFunnels has recently got uh, involved in, and it's uh, it's basically anti-child uh, sex trafficking. So they send in U.S. troops into uh, Haiti to rescue these children who are being abused sexually and and sold as slaves, as sex slaves, uh, and they're arresting the the perpetrators. And I think it's so, so important. Uh, So again, it's it's called OUR, and it's Operation Underground Railroad. Thank you. We will definitely link to that in the show notes. And then lastly, Daniel, before we say goodbye, where can our listeners go to learn more about you, your podcast, your book, and of course, to follow your content? Uh, so first of all, if you're listening to this on your phone, which I'm, I'm assuming you are, if you just go to the Daniel Geffen show, you can hear me. Uh, I've got a daily show. You can hear me talk to myself basically uh, in the park. I go for walks in the park and I talk to myself every day for about 10 minutes. Um, so that's called the Daniel Geffen show with one F. There's also the Can I Pick Your Brain show which is where I do a weekly episode with uh, very successful entrepreneurs and pick their brains. So can I pick your brain? My book is called The Self-Help Addict, um, and my company is podbooker.com. So if you want to get booked on podcasts to share your message and build your tribe, um, it's podbooker.com to get booked on podcasts. We will absolutely link to all of that in the notes as well. So Daniel, thank you again. It has been such an honor to have you on and I really appreciate your time. Thank you, Dorothy. Thank you. You've been listening to the Can I Pick Your Brain podcast. Inspiration without perspiration is like a tiger without teeth. So to put these ideas into action, head over to danielgeffen.com.